Welcome to the Wisdom of Madness with Rasuli and Jesh Darox. Two friends from different worlds discuss the beauty and mystery of creativity. Call me the reigning sovereign of confusion and chaos, for I am the biggest fool in the entire world. This is my introduction to Hafez. Let's see what Hafez has to say. True poverty is not found just in those without a coin, without possessions, without a house, or even in being without a name. But the poor are those without a dream. A dream created from the deepest longings of the heart. Pray for the grace to dream the impossible. Pray for the wisdom of madness to pursue it. Pray for the playfulness and foolishness to live it. Pray for the courage to be true to the dream and delight in it, for the impossible dream becomes your lover and your fortune is found in the waves of joy washing over you as the dream springs to life, revealing itself moment by wonderful moment. Wow. That's my introduction to office. That was you? That's incredible. Thank you. 25 years to to do that. But finally, I am pleased with that Hafez. Now we're going to read Hafez. Go for it. Pour me a bitter wine that would knock me down so I'd be away from the world of malice and pain. Feast of the world misses the dessert of serenity. O heart, sweeten the bitter taste from the flavor of lust. Pour the wine, for I cannot be safe from the temptation of Venus and the forcity of Mars. Throw away the lasso and pick up the wine. For this hunting ground gulps every hunter and hound. Wow. Let the ripples of wine unveil the secrets of life, but don't let the pessimists discover its divine design. To respect the poor does not reduce your greatness. Solomon, with his eminence, learned even from the ants. Mm. The bow of beloved eyebrows does not turn away from Hafez, yet he laughs at the weakness of his own arms. It's astonishing. The question that I asked actually was, um, how does a person stay free in a, a world of responsibilities? You know, I think he was a good one to ask. And uh, he talks a lot about wine, you know, and being drunk and stuff, and of course, that's a metaphor for um, freedom, I think, you know, freedom from the world of malice and pain, as, as he's talking mm-hmm. about. Right. 
But the line that stood out the most to me from that entire gorgeous poem was that the hunting ground swallows both the hunter and the hound. And I think for me, that's really where the answer was because we get caught in these dualistic games, you know, of right and wrong and good and bad and better and worse and all of that. And in the end, both of them are a loss, you know? And I think to me, being free, I think the mind wants to understand, you know, am I the hunter or am I the hound? You know, am I the predator? Am I the prey? Which one is the safe one? Which one keeps me free, you know? And it's like freedom is in neither of those. As long as you're part of the game, then you're not free. To really get into the depths of the poem that we just read, we need to know where Hafez comes from. Most people know Rumi a lot more than they know Hafez. The beloved of Rumi was celestial. Hafiz's beloved is earthling as well as celestial. Mm. So Hafiz just takes this journey from the physical body into yes. the spirit, the soul. And that's why Hafiz becomes a tremendous guide for life. That's why he's revealing the secret of life. Rumi has nothing to do with these things. Mm-hmm. Rumi is God speaking. Mm -hmm. But Hafez is paving the way to get there. The idea is, how do we become free while we have all that weight on our shoulders? Mm -hmm. We're dealing with the weight on our shoulders that there's no escape from it. Mm. Physical body has needs. Need for food, shelter and whatever physical things that we need. So that's on our shoulder, no matter what. I think it's such a fascinating uh, thing that you just said, you know, that Rumi is is much widely, much more widely known at this stage than Hafez is. And I think it's because it, you know, it kind of mirrors the place that the culture is in, in general when it comes to spirituality, which is this very conceptual, you know, celestial, as you say, having to do with the heavens. Religion has almost always had to do it with the heavens, you know, in the way that it's talked about. And as important as it is, that's definitely like the end of the journey. That's the omega of the journey. And the alpha of the journey is at least as important. You could even say more important, but you don't need to, just because if you don't do the alpha, you're never going to get to the omega, you know. And we were even just talking about this beautiful painting that you're exploring right now. And, you know, you were saying, is it, is it religious, is it spiritual, is it, you know, sensual, is it, is it fantastical? And we were talking about how all of those things really are steps, you know, in a process. They're shades of, a, of an ombre, you know, that's, that's happening. And I really feel that one of the, the biggest failures of religion uh, in looking at the past, you know, and the biggest obstacles is how you know, so many religious concepts have uh, created separations between us and, and the celestial by delineating, you know, this is that, this is that, by bringing so much judgment into it. You know, when somebody like Jesus clearly says, here's the deal, don't judge and you won't be judged, which is such a good deal. It's one of the best deals I've ever heard in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think he was saying in relation to this poem, you know, don't be the hunter, don't be the hound. And you just get out of all of it, you know. But as soon as you sign up and you say, I'm the hunter or I'm the hound, you know, 
then as soon as you do that, you're now locked by your own free will into this bargain. And it's a very different bargain, you know, than the one Jesus was talking about. It's a very different bargain than the one, you know, Hafez is talking about. He says, you know, I, I want this way out of the malice. You know, I've seen the, the feast of the world and it's missing something. It's missing something. Missing the dessert. Missing the dessert. Yeah. How does desire develop in us? And where does desire transform into passion? And how does passion help desire to expand? Only our awareness of the stages makes the journey enjoyable. But if we're not aware of the stages, we cannot really enjoy the journey. We could have a dream and we could stay with our dream. I could dream a painting and stay with it, but my putting the brush on the canvas as I paint my dream, it develops into a form of some kind of adjustment rather than just being my dream now. Because now there is a reality that I'm touching. And the reality that I'm touching is really the limitations that I need in order to have a container. If there's no limitation, I could just go on forever. And a lot of us are dreamers that we constantly dream. But not to bring a dream into reality, it's just like painting on a surface of the water. Nothing is going to stay there. Creativity initiates, starts with desire, because you move out of your, yourself. Desire, which is the, the Latin word, the star. You, the star, move away from yourself. That's what makes an artist, makes an inventor. Movement from me into you. Where does desire turn into passion? Suddenly, I want it for me. Suddenly, I'm passionate about it. It's not desire anymore. Desire was all about expanding, was going out, was to share. I think it's an interesting differentiation between those two words of desire and passion because passion seems to definitely be a desire that's become embodied. Right. You know, right. because you would never, you could look at somebody and you couldn't really necessarily comment on their desires because often those are hidden. But when you look at somebody, you can see if they're passionate or not about what they're talking about or what they're saying. So it's like starts as desire and the desire builds. And as it builds to a certain point, then it starts becoming embodied. And as it moves into the body, then we start having passion. It, it is very difficult to read somebody's desire, but it is very easy to you know, discover somebody's passion. See, desire is an is a inner feeling. Desire is for the soul. Passion is for the body. I'm passionate about food. I'm passionate about wine. I'm passionate about sex. I'm passionate about whatever it is. It's all about me wanting it for me. There are artists who've been passionately creating, and there are artists who've been desirously creating, and you can feel the difference. When an artist is passionate, you can feel it immediately, that this is all about passionate work. 
but this transformation, this movement of from body to soul, or from soul to body, is what life is all about. It kind of reminds me of what we've been talking about recently with the, this relationship, you know, between the darkness and the light, you know, and even that interesting definition you gave of desire to be this de-starring, you know. This, to me, when you talk about de-starring, I see the sun. I see the sun throwing itself out, you know, in rays of light. And you see that relationship between the sun and the earth and even the whole thing of, like, let there be light and how the whole commandment of let there be light you know, from the inside of the star, poof, the desire goes out. For me, when the light hits the earth and the interaction between the earth and the sunlight creates the passion, you know, and it creates that the embodiment of the ethereal in the physical form, you know. Um, so we're talking about that in terms of how the world was created, at least in that story, you know. But as we've mentioned in the past, I see that creation story as a very personal explanation of the creative journey that happens within each of us. So if we have this light inside of us, if we have this voice inside of us, this star, you know, this ancient wisdom, the soul, whatever you want to call it, and then if it opens itself up and casts its, its desires, its light upon the body, in the merger of the body and that light, as the body starts picking up to try to express that, yeah. It starts putting it out. To me, that starts turning into a passion that is a transformation. Because passion certainly seems to be closely connected with transformation because, you know, you will see any, anything that somebody's doing passionately, it affects other people, it moves them, you know. It, it's an inspiring... Inspiring is even an interesting word too because that Latin comes from breath you know, and to pour breath into something, to inspire it, you know. That is really the transformation from desire to passion. And that transformation from desire to passion is what develops the style of an artist. If you are following somebody else's desire to passion, mm. you're a copyist. Yes. No matter what. Yep. But if you recognize that... Your light. Yeah, I can make the connection with the it's beautiful. the inner one. Then you become the artist. An interviewer was interviewing Fellini and told him that, you know, they call you a great director. And what is so great about the works that you do, all these ugliness that you show, all these blood, what is so great about what you're doing? Fellini said, you don't criticize an artist for their dreams. Everyone has a dream. You criticize an artist for their implementation of the dream. How you bring your dream into reality describes the degree of your artistic capability. Same thing for a musician, for a dancer. Same thing happens for an actress on the stage, for an actor. See, without a dream, we cannot create. The dream is what initiates the desire. The initiation takes place by attraction. We get attracted to something. So as we develop the feeling of being attracted, that already puts you into creating. 
I see this beautiful face and I'm attracted to it. This carries in me into my work as I'm created. That's still creation is with my scene as well. I created the moment I saw her. She became a part of my creation, but it moves on into my implementation of it. When I was 13 years old, I was going on a train f with my mother from Tehran to Mashhad, two cities. The distance on the train was like two days and one night. We were on the train and the train was going through these mountains and we slept. And early in the morning, I needed to go to the bathroom, but there was a line of people to get in. So I stood at the end of the line for my turn. As I was standing there, I was looking through the window in front of me, in the opposite side. The sky was bright, and you knew that it was about the time for the sun to come up. As I was looking at that and waiting in the line, suddenly this young girl, she was maybe 13 herself as well, just walked in. She was going to go to the women's, and she was wearing a very thin nightgown. As she moved, the light of the sun came up. The tip of the golden circle came up. And a ray of light just hit right there. And the silhouette of that body in that thin dress all came at the same time. My feet began to shake. <laughs> My knees just started shaking. Wow. And I had to sit down. I have no idea what happened. There was an energy, there was a power that just, pew, and that stayed with me forever. Every painting that I do, every woman that I look at, every light that I see, that moment is, is with me constantly. I've carried that moment in different form in everything that you see. That's the desire that continues. If that moment if I had followed her, it would have ended up in something, whatever it was, but that would have been finished. Because the passion took over desire, and I just went after having her. And whether I had her or not, that would be finished. I hear that. I'm curious, like, back to the metaphor, you know, in a practical sense of, like, the journey between the earth and the heavens from where Hafez is to Rumi, if we don't go through passion, how does that, how does that get bridged? Because I'm, I'm kind of seeing that passion is the bridge. I, and not all passion. I think from where I'm seeing it, and I'm so curious to see you know, what your take is and how you're, how you're seeing it in this too, but for me, passion is the implementation of desire. It's the embodiment of desire. And I think there are different desires. I think some desires are, you know, from the animal body. And I think some desires are from ancient, old, mysterious, before animals were even a thing, you know? Um, so the spirit, you know, the, the star. Passion that is expressing or embodying, you know, a physical desire will end as a part of this journey of the hunter and the hound, both being swallowed up, you know, by the, by the field itself. I think it was Solomon who who said um, the spirit of the animal goes downward, but the spirit of man goes upward, you know? And for me, that's like this distinction between there are different kinds of desires. There are different kinds of dreams. And again, going back to Hafez in his poem, him saying, 
first, like the first thing he said was, I'm always aware, you know, of the bow of the brow of the beloved, you know, that's never moving away from me. And for me, that is the embodied, that is what we're talking about here, where he says, first, the desire is, you know, from that star to me. And then I'm working with my hands and I'm trying to figure out how do I say this unsayable thing? How do I, how do I become, you know, this majestic, you know, moment that's impossible to convey? This is the whole formula for creativity that you're getting into. I hope those who are hearing this can really visualize what we're talking about because this is the secret of creativity. Desire is from inner and has no form. There's a desire for expansion. It's like the energy that wants to expand. It doesn't have any form. Just expand, that's it. Then comes the passion. Passion is what puts the limit, puts the shape into the desire. If the passion is only one thing, the desire ends up at passion. But if passion constantly changes, desire to become eternal. That whole idea of the capability of creating something that is in constant change is what makes a work of art. If it just freezes in a form, it is not a work of art. It's a frozen image. But when it keeps on moving, keeps on changing, every time you look at it, you see the difference in it. If you read, let's say, the Hafez poem, every time you feel there's something else in it, you watch somebody's dance, and the same dance you see it again, and every time you feel something else in it. The same thing happens in our creative process. Desire is to expand. Expansion has nothing to do with havingness. It's about expansion. God created the universe, did not put it in the saving account. It's all about expansion. The feeling of expansion is the feeling of creativity. Feeling of creativity is with everyone. When we go to our closet in the morning to put our clothes on, clothes that we pick has to do with the feeling of desire. So we begin to bring that desire into form. As more form we have available to us, the better it is for us because we have more form available. That's why we follow the footprints of success in order to have more forms available to us. So is it possible that when Hafez is talking about the wine and being drunk all of the time, what he's really saying is that these forms, you know, that we keep trying to express God through or the spiritual journey through or whatever are... They need to be broken open. They need to be dissolved. The hard lines of them needs to be bent. They need to be moved through, you know? And so that there can be a form, because when you think about drunkenness and how does it show up and why is that the metaphor that keeps being used, certainly one of the key differences between somebody who's drunk and somebody who's not tends to be a lot of movement, you know, and a lot of inappropriate things being said, a lot of like lack of understanding of where the boundaries are. Is that related in your opinion? Yeah, that, that constant change comes with drunkenness. If you're drunk, you're constantly floating like a ship without an anchor. It just moves back and forth. And that is what Hafez is talking about. Breaking what we've done, not admiring what we have created, 
God sat there on the seventh day and watched what is done doesn't make sense to me. We just continue creating. I think that's a really interesting point because to delineate, you know, the difference between active creation and any relationship at all with what has already been created, as soon as you're into that second one, you're into a form of worship of the past, you know? And by worship, I mean attention being paid, life being given. It's a form of idolatry is what it is, you know? And it's, it's not necessarily without value, but to be stuck in there is certainly without value, you know? To be able to reference the things from the past, as we've talked about in prior, you know, talks, there's a value in that that has to do with the value of survival, but not to do with the value of creativity, you know, not at all. And I think those two things are very confusing to people. And we have this idea that we're being creative and we're doing all these things inside that that are not, in fact, even remotely creative. And then we get frustrated. Well, why aren't I creating? You know, it, it is tricky. And I, I even understand this, this talk specifically is, I think, one of the more esoteric, you know, and hard to really understand because I think we're really just trying to dig deep and, and break open what I feel we're getting to the core of here, which is that it's so important to be able to tell what phase you are in, like you said before, you know, and to be able to know I am in a creative phase right now because I am in expansion, because I am in movement. Okay, now... I am referencing something from the past or I'm referencing another artist's work or I'm referencing how my client is receiving this. All of those that I just said in the end, none of those are creativity. All of those are judgment. All of those have to do with a referencing system that can have some value in terms of survival but is completely and utterly anti-creativity. And to put both of those in the same bag and say these are creative is, is, a, is deeply confusing and is, is corruptive to the creative process. You know, people need to know that they can pick that up and set it down when they need to, but we should know what we're picking up and, and what we're setting down because otherwise we try to pick something up and it doesn't do the thing we think it does and then you get what most people on the earth think about themselves, which is, oh, I'm not creative. And that's clearly not true. All people are inherently creative because built into our genes is that call and that drive to expand. You know, so that's there. It's just, I don't think it's very clear, you know, um, for a lot of us because of the language, because of the deep challenge of the human mind having to hold these two opposites and somehow mix them together. The whole excitement about creative process is that because on one side we have total freedom. Yes. On the other side we have the total limitation. Limitation is what we've learned through life, through studying, through following whatever it is that we have on one side, which has to do with form. Yes. All that we learn is about form. We put it on one side. On this side is the freedom. If we begin with limitation, we're in trouble. If you are a fashion designer yes. and you want to address, let's say, somebody to look like a watermelon. You could go and measure the person and draw the outline of it and work within the outline to build that form of watermelon. That's one way where you're working beginning with the limitation. Now, if you begin with the freedom, as I'm doing it, 
I'm expanding, which is my desire. I'm expanding. But my expansion is moving towards passion because now it's got to be accepted by people because so I'm moving from desire into passion. Now it's about me, how I can connect it with me. If that physical form has got limits, you're done, you're finished. You would be a songwriter who writes a song and that's it, gone. But if that is expansive constantly, you can expand more and more and more and more. Every human being has equal capability to create. That transformation from creativity into the form makes a difference. If I make a costume that begins with the limits of the costume, if I'm doing an act that begins with trying to play Julius Caesar, and I'm going to imitate Julius Caesar, I am imitating Julius Caesar. Yeah, I think you're really hitting on something, you know, that is, again, it's a very specific and I think tricky and bewildering aspect of the whole creative process. Well, what do people have in their head if they don't have a dream? Because they certainly have something in their head. Thought. They have tons of thoughts. They have thoughts. They have tons of ideas. They have tons of concepts from other people. And those are different than a dream. You know, and one thing that you really hear from a lot of the greats, a lot of the people who went far, the huge creators, they always had dreams. That's even like the quintessential, you know, Martin Luther King thing is, I have a dream. You know, and what was his dream? His dream had nothing to do with the present reality or the, the past. It was a dream that was completely of a transformation that hadn't happened yet. And so if we listen to his definition of dream, we can clearly say that if you've got a dream, it's this desire that's coming through that is freed from the limitations of the present, freed from the limitations of history as it has been. And you're using that dream to source your passion, a dream without limitation. It's almost like a dream could be called a living idea versus like a dead idea. It's a, a living thought. It's a thought that's like a seed that has all this potential life in it. Hafez's poem refers to that thing so beautifully because that dream is only valuable if you continue being drunk. Yes. If you are putting that dream into a form of ra into a rational forming, you freeze it right there. As you take your dream into drunkenness, constantly new forms evolves. You constantly change, just like a drunk constantly changes. So the idea is to stay in that drunken state. Being in that drunken state means that not being rational. I'm just enjoying it. And I don't give a damn if police comes and raids me or whatever happens. Or they call me the biggest fool, as Hafez calls himself. That is the drunkenness. Our whole concept on Layla is about making and breaking, making and breaking. No attachment to the end result. If you keep on making and breaking, you're creating. But if you're attached to what you have created, you're frozen right there. And I think the body really beautifully illustrates that when you move from one place to another place. Your foot forms a certain shape. You know, your leg forms a certain shape as you lift it, but then you instantly have to break it, you know? It's even the simple act of walking 10 feet is Layla again and again, you know? And in that same way, it's like you lift up your foot 
and you know that's a necessary step in the creative process and then it freezes and then you're like well this was a good step I'm not, I, I can't leave it you know it's like you have to be willing to constantly let that go and I think as a concept you know it is imp- we know we've heard this concept that you have to be willing to you know let go of the past you can't you know be stuck in the old things there's that whole thing that you know a lot of songwriters go through called sophomore slump, which is they make an amazing first record and then their second one is horrible. And it's because the first one was made from a place of dreams right. and freedom, you know. Right. And the second one is made from a place of, you know, having to please the record label and having to please you know an audience who's already gotten a certain idea. It's like your whole metaphor of the <laughs> of the watermelon dress, which is still very much in my head. I think to be able to create work that has movement, to be able to with their life practically generate work in any form of art that has this movement in it that honors the, the motion that's in the dream, the expansion that's in the dream. I think the ley law in that is as simple as the ley law is in walking from, you know, one place to another place. And in those 10 feet that you walk, you're constantly allowing permission for your body to take so many shapes. It shifts and moves subtly. And the people are basically doing that to themselves in their own creative process instead of just really getting lost in the motion, you know, and just feeling that desire to keep pushing forward, whatever it is that the baby moves towards, you know, the baby moves towards, and they're not thinking about how they're walking, and they're not even doing it that well, you know, but they just have that desire to go touch whatever it is that has has drawn them. And what I'm hearing in what you're saying is you have to remain connected to that desire. That dream has to constantly inform your passion. And the second that you lose touch with that dream, the connection dies. For me, the ultimate simplification has really come down to in any given moment, you are either in joy or you are not in joy. And to me, that is a a grand simplifier of all of it. And even higher knowledge and higher learning, you know, what's the point of higher learning if it doesn't result in joy? What's the point of anything if it ultimately doesn't end up resolving in joy or supporting conditions that support joyful life? You know, that to me is the indicator. And so I think, you know, going back to this Hafez thing where he says, I'm the king of fools, it's really beautiful of him to do that because it's exactly what you just did at the beginning of that talk. You're just saying, okay, guys, so let's start with this idea. This is going to be ridiculous. And if you're not into the ridiculous, just go. I think. When, when people get disconnected from the joy, all of a sudden the passion is being sourced from something else, and it's usually fear. It's usually self-preservation. It's usually self-vanity, or it, all of it really boils down to fear. It's almost always either fear or, or, or joy, you know? And so I think that that really is a beautiful kind of a clarifying note to remember in all of this is as long as you keep feeling that dream, and that dream is bringing you joy, that's the right dream. The moment you want to do something based on something that you know, your mind goes that way completely. Going back to the costume designer doing this watermelon design, if the costume designer plays fully doing the most ridiculous form of a watermelon that she can do, now becomes the challenge of an artist. Now the style begins. How do you transform that into sizes of shoulders and arm and feet and and waist and all of that? How do you get into that becomes the challenge of an artist. 
And it's so easy. On one side, you have freedom. On the other side, you get limitation. So this is all the transformation that takes place. And that all boils down to one thing. Just be ridiculous. Yeah. Just be ridiculous. Don't stay with what is standards, what has been told you to do. Yeah. Just break the rules and be ridiculous. And in that ridiculousness, there's a hope. But if you don't go there, there's no hope. And I also love about that, that it is okay to use the standards and the ideas of people in the past. And the second step, start with the freedom and then bring the freedom to the standards. And the amalgamation of those two things changes both. And it's not that you have to completely chuck all of history and all of human advancement, but just don't start from the human advancement. That's what I'm hearing really clearly is don't start from that. Because as soon as you're starting from those human places, you know, you will stay stuck in the human maze. You will be the hunter and the hound and you'll, you'll get swallowed in this physical infinity. That to me is the secret of life that Hafez is talking about is start with the freedom, start with the sun rays moving out. That happened first. As long as we're still connected to that, whatever we touch is going to be filled with that. The Wisdom of Madness is produced by Rasuli, Jesh Durox, and Elizabeth Joy Windham. Our theme music is by Niklas Poshberg. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you know someone who would appreciate this podcast, we encourage you to share it, screenshot it, and airdrop it to your friends, family, and community.